Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Path. <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast and Blog. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for listening. Happy Tuesday. Back around to a top three Tuesday. Uh, feeling better. Last week we didn't do one. Just wasn't uh, wasn't up to it after my uh, my neck injury from not doing anything. So. <laughs> Uh, anyway, feeling better today. Before we get into the uh, topics, though, I've got some call-ins from the James Bond episode. We'll hear from Larry Hamilton from Follow Me and Die. And uh, Larry uh, just celebrated 10 years blogging, so congrats on that, Larry. Also, Colin Green from Spike Pit, as well as Frank T., Frank Turfler, legendary anchorite, does a Frank T.'s liner note show. And uh, Frank's actually got a topic for later in the show as well. So, without further ado, here comes some call-ins. You'll also hear for, from uh, Mr. Yoder from Random Encounters in the Library, because somehow I missed this message. I'm having all kinds of problems with my anchor messages, so. Froth's off. Listen to your top three Tuesday. Um, I loved James Bond when I was a kid. Um, the year Goonies came out, which I think... Was that 83? I don't know. It's the same year I, um, <laughs> well, I have it locked in my memory because uh, we went to visit my uh, uncle and his kids in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And that was the first time I had Twizzlers. And I that was where I picked up Wish Song of Shannara and the James Bond RPG by Victory Games, and that's where all my James Bond <laughs> lore <laughs> typically comes from. So I was like, it's Stromberg, it's Stromberg, come on. Because <laughs> I read that over and over again. All right, take care, great episode, bye. Oh, man, Froth, Tuesday's episode made me dig out the Duran Duran. Great episode. You know, listening to those tunes just brings me way back. You know, I think that uh, a lot of that music just goes hand in hand with my early days of gaming. And it just brings back so many good memories. Hey, Froth, this is Larry with Follow Me and Die. Just calling in about your James Bond Top 3 Tuesday. Uh, Roger Moore, uh I really like his appearance in the movie Cannonball Run, if you've ever seen that from late 80s, where Roger Moore plays a look-alike pretending to be Roger Moore as James Bond. It's rather hilarious. Um, and Goldfinger, one memorable line, 007 says, You expect me to talk? And Goldfinger replies, No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. But then he doesn't stay around to make sure he's dead. Still memorable lines. Lots of other great movies. George Lazenby, I watched that movie a year or two ago on Hulu about being James Bond. As you said, very interesting. People should watch it. Really enjoyed the episode. Keep it up. Hey, Froth, it's Spike Pit here. I could probably sum up this call-in with two words, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Those two words... Oh, James Bond. Man, Arfed and your good self, old foamy. Man, you've worked a number on me there. 
just when I thought I was getting through a bit of a backlog of source material, I've got the James Bond bug. I'm getting that soundtrack on Spotify. Going to be listening to them tunes. Going to dig out some films. See if, uh, see if my youngest or even some other members of the family can be tempted to watch them. Classic, classic James Bond. Oh my goodness. And on a bit of a side shoot, the Duran Duran bug, man. Oh, awesome. Awesome Duran Duran. Froth, what you're doing to me, man? Gentlemen, as always, I really appreciate hearing from y'all. So first of all, thanks for calling in. And then, uh, yeah, as far as Duran Duran uh, goes from Colin and Frank, um, I love Duran Duran. I got it all. I got it all. Um, Actually, I shouldn't say that. I've got all up till uh, the Notorious album. And then I just kind of, you know, they kind of took a break and I didn't get into the later stuff. Although I did go see them in concert twice uh, on the later albums just to see them do, you know, the earlier stuff. But I, I loved all that, like, uh, that was referred to as the new romantic kind of style music in the early 80s. So it was like Duran Duran and Spandau Ballet and a bunch of bands like that. I, I love all that stuff. So that was right in my wheelhouse. And um, yeah, so Duran Duran's awesome, always will be. Uh, that Rio album, Seven and the Ragged Tiger, uh, you can't go wrong with all that stuff. So anyway, I appreciate y'all calling in. And uh, Colin, I hope y'all you know got to check out some of the old flicks. Um, it was really memorable, and I'll never forget you know my dad showing me some of those when I was younger. So you know you never know that could be a memory that they remember you know 20, 30 years from now. And maybe be showing their kids some of that classic bond, you know, because those those early ones they don't, you know, they feel a little, maybe a little bit dated, but they they really don't get old, you know. And uh, Larry, yeah, did I, I know Cannonball Run? I saw it at the theater. I love Cannonball Run. Dom DeLuise is Captain Chaos, you know, a little Burt Reynolds action. You got uh, Sammy Davis Jr. and Dean Martin in there dressed as priests. Um, a whole bunch of like a who's who of late 70s early 80s uh kind of um stars in that movie Farrah Fawcett uh that one crazy doctor you know they got in there um uh, it's a great movie and uh yeah Roger Moore and Jackie Chan as well as in that but uh yeah so and I'm glad you mentioned that that uh that documentary on Hulu I really enjoyed watching that so um, I thought that was a really interesting um, story for any Bond fan to check out. So really appreciate y'all listening and, and, and commenting on that. Um, I'm a big James Bond fan. It's just, like I'd mentioned, just in my blood from growing up watching it. So we shall see what the new one looks like. And then I think, I guess after that, they'll be trying to find a new James Bond. So we'll see what happens with that as well. Arthur here with my Tuesday top three calling. Um I thought it was time to bring it back to sort of role-playing theme. Um, I'm creating some new battle maps and things on Roll20 recently. Uh, they've added in some new audio features quite recently. Uh, so you can have audio playing in the background when you swap your um, tokens onto the map and move your players to the map. Anyway, uh, I wanted to find out what was your top three go-to sound effects if you're using sound effects in any of your games. 
or if you were going to use sound effects if you're not. Um, I'm going to give you one example which I wouldn't normally do because I like to hear what you've got to say but I always use wind uh, and watch the players sitting around the table sort of shivering and feeling cold even though obviously you're in a nice heated room but uh, always amuses me. Anyway, keep up the good work. So that's Darren Green, a.k.a. Rfed, a.k.a. Rocks Fall, Everyone Dies there. And um, i got to be honest with you. I, 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 I love that you're calling in with uh, top threes. Uh, please keep it up. But in this case, it's something where I don't really, I don't really, got to be honest, I don't really use a lot of sound effects in, in games. Times that I have tried just having some background stuff going on, you know, like throughout the game, I've found almost always since I'm the one running the games, I find it really distracting and it gets hard for me to focus, um, whether it's online or, or just, you know, real life at the table, you know, at, um, I've tried it a few times and what it adds to the game is not enough to keep it from kind of distracting me and and uh, interfering with my ability to kind of run the game the way I want. That said, I have used specific songs or bits of music in, in games. You know, when I ran, um, times I've run Star Wars, um, I've, I've queued up the intro music right before the game, you know, uh, you got to do that. And... Um, and also, uh, I ran one adventure that was a set on Tatooine. So, uh, you know, of course, they end up, um, you know, at the um, at the bar and everything. So I've got that little, you know, that Tatooine, you know, bar music going with Cantina or whatever. Um, also, when I ran, well, multiple times that I've run uh, Ravenloft. Uh, I've, I've mentioned before how I'll inject some Rocky horror into that. So I would have that, you know, some of that going on. And then the one classic that I did use all the time with my group was the Benny Hill theme. My listeners over in England should definitely be familiar with the Benny Hill show. And there's a tune, the Yakety Sax that gets played. It's usually kind of at the end of the show. That's a show my granddad got me into when I was real young and played it on public TV uh, when I was younger. And, um, you know, Benny Hill be chasing some women around or doing some kind of shenanigans, and it's all, like, sped up. And they played this yakety sax music. So whenever the party inevitably was fleeing a scene or whenever something happened where they got into really big trouble or whatever, I would play that over the Roll20 jukebox. Unfortunately... They changed the Roll20 jukebox. You used to be able to just search for a regular song, so you could search for Rocky Horror or something and find it. You could search, you know, for the Yakety Sax and just cue it right up. Now it's all this kind of Muzak where it's really kind of hard to search through. I guess you can maybe upload stuff yourself, and but I, it wasn't worth it to me. Um, so I've played on other people's games where as a player... Um, I enjoyed a little background noise and the things I liked the most were just kind of the ambient background noise of like a, a city or a town square or, you know, shopping area where you hear people bustling and stuff or, or maybe uh, some weather sometimes. Um, 
wasn't so distracting and sometimes I've played with some people that just will play a little kind of kind of uh, almost I don't know cinematic instrumental music during a combat and that kind of thing and and hey more power to a, a GM if they can tolerate that while they play or you know while they run the game so as a player it doesn't bother me but as running games as a GM I'm just not that into to doing it except for maybe a little you know, flourish here or there and then kind of turning it off and focusing on the game. So, hey, got to be honest, sometimes I don't have a top three for you, Arfa, but I really did appreciate the call. And, um, you know, if anybody else is using sound, yeah, if you're extensively using sound effects in your games, feel free to call in and let us know what you're doing. Hey, Froth, here's one for your top three Tuesdays. Top three coolest spaceships in all of science fiction. Have fun picking. It's Ray Otis there from Plundergrounds. Ray, I appreciate the call. Ray had a second part on there that was top three like blasters from sci-fi. Um, you know, from a sci-fi property or or, or what have you. But I, I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't think of three good ones to be honest. The the ones that came to mind just seemed really kind of generic. So I thought I'd just focus on the the spaceships or you know ships from these sci-fi you know, sci-fi movies, whatever. And, um, this was fun to think about because, you know, it's just going back down memory lane, thinking about so many cool, you know, movies and shows and everything that, you know, from your life. And I was thinking about, you know, all the different sci-fi movies I've seen and everything and all the classics. And, you know, I, I like these ones that have these really distinctive, um, ships in them like you know you think about like et you know had that weird kind of bulb sort of ship where you don't see that that's the only time you ever see a ship kind of that style you know it's not one of my favorites but i think it was good that they didn't go with a flying saucer or something you know and in another spielberg movie uh, close encounters they also had a really memorable ship where it you know played the music back and everything and so spielberg's always done well with 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 space spaceships and then um, I also thought about the really just kind of outlier kind of humorous ones and that made me think about like the Winnebago and Spaceballs you know John Candy and and uh, I'm gonna blank his name what's that actor's name I don't know he's a really good actor too an actor I enjoy I forget his forget his name I'm blanking it but if you've ever seen Spaceballs, you know, they're driving around the Winnebago. And um, and also thought about uh, Explorers from the early 80s. You know, it's got a young uh, River Phoenix in there. And, uh, um, God, I should have looked up some people's names. What is the name of the guy? From Dead Poets Society. He's been in some other good stuff. I'm blanking his name too, but anyway, Explorers was Ethan Hawke. Yeah, finally I got one, got one to come out of my brain. Um, but Explorers was kind of an early '80s movie where these kids kind of are getting like these psychic messages to go meet up with some aliens, and the ship they end up making it's kind of built uh, from a from a, um, a old amusement park kind of uh, 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 piece and. 
And um, so anyway, it was just a really original, unusual kind of ship. And that, so that stuck out in my mind, that, you know, them flying around in the old, uh, old uh, carriage or whatever from an amusement park. So I, you know, thought about a ton of these and everything. And so uh, anyway, here's what I came up with for my top three. Now the first one for my, t for number three, I had to look up what it was called. Cause I just remember seeing Flash Gordon at the theater. That was a movie that made a huge impression on me. Um, even though, you know, I, I was very young, but even then still knew a little bit who Queen was because another one bites the dust was like the big song. And we would all, you know, we'd go, to the pizza place, we always request, you know, put that on the jukebox. So, you know, it's got all the great Queen soundtrack, you know, Flash, ah. And, um, and it's got this great production design and art, you know, that emulates the classic, you know, comics and, and kind of pulp or pulpier uh, serials and, and stuff that, that uh, came out years, years before for Flash Gordon. And so the production design is unbelievable. And um, there, there's that great ship that I, I, I just was thinking it was maybe just like Ming's Imperial ship or whatever, but it's actually called the War Rocket Ajax. And that, that reminded me when I looked that up, it's like, oh, that's what the one lady says, you know, that she puts the boar worms on, on, do on, on the doctor and everything. Boar worms. That's a great D and D monster idea there. Um, but she's like, Dispatch War Rocket Ajax, and that's the name of it, the War Rocket Ajax. And this is that ship that's kind of got an Art Deco look to it that has a little, you know, kind of point at the very tip that Ming gets impaled on at the very end. And I love this that Art Deco kind of pulpy design, almost a steampunk feel to it as well of that war rocket Ajax. And uh, I'll have a picture of this up on the uh, Thought Eater blog if anyone has to picture what it looks like. But that was just such a distinctive, awesome ship. And, and then it was, you know, used to great effect at the end to impale Ming. So I'm gonna go with the war rocket Ajax from Flash Gordon as my number three. Number two, I mean, how can anybody not put the uh, Millennium Falcon in, in their top three somewhere? I mean, uh, Every kid, you know, uh, that had to influence everybody, the Star Wars movies and, and, and seeing that. And, I mean, even, you know, they were wise to put that in the, the more recent Star Wars movies as well. It's just such an iconic, iconic ship and design. I had the, you know, the, the little Millennium Falcon with the action figures and everything when I was younger. Wish I'd kept that stuff. You know, it's probably just uh, buried under you know, a thousand tons of, of garbage somewhere um, in a landfill. But uh, Millennium Falcon, you know, what else, not much you can say about it. It's just a, seems an obvious choice, but I got to put it there. It really does have that original design, how the guns are set up. I love how it's got the little, you know, you remember all the little things about it, like the little space chests or whatever they're playing with the little holograms and everything. And, um, you know. It's just so iconic. I'm putting that at number two. And the number one, I was thinking about all these sci-fi movies and everything, and, you know, this is a little bit of a cheat, but I'm going to say the ships from 2001, Space Odyssey. And uh, whether it's, the, you know, these ones kind of operating like a gyroscope where, you know, you're seeing it really um, in, 
reinforces the idea that they're in space with kind of people you know walking on the ceilings or walls and everything uh, but also it's got that kind of retro 70s chic kind of sleek um, interiors when it shows them in some some spots and then of course later you've got Hal um, kind of uh, uh, not exactly revolting but Hal just uh, trying to follow its programmed orders uh, to great detriment of the crew and um, the whole interior of the, the memory banks for Hal and just all the ways that the ships were done in that movie, it, it's, it's still so incredible. Um, and so I, uh, I really, when I thought about it, I was like, th those designs, that's probably the tops for me. Kubrick's uh, 2001 a Space Odyssey, those are probably the coolest spaceships, or just the most well done, um, especially considering the time when it was done. Th those will be top for me. But who knows, you know, I'll think about this in a few days and I'll be like, ah, oh, I forgot that. But anyway, thanks for the call in, Ray. Hey, Froth, let's talk about the D6. You know, it's probably the most common die. And, um, you know, it's probably the most common die used in a game system outside of the D20. You know, I've been on a D6 game kick for a while and man the d6 games that are out there and the variety is just astounding so how about giving me your top three d6 game systems i've got a a few in mind and you know there's there's a lot to choose from so you know for instance there's the probably classic up oh, gonna have to pull a jackson so immediately the first one that comes to mind and and this isn't uh this isn't my choice but you know there's tunnels and trolls uh ken san andre said he wanted to use a d6 because he couldn't find a d20 he couldn't find all the other polyhedrals but he could get access to D6s, and that's what he used for his system. Uh, but that's that's not in my top three. Uh, I'm going to say that, number one, I'm going to go with the classic uh, West End Games Star Wars D6. I haven't had an opportunity to play a lot of uh, the West End Games D6 systems, but I have played a little bit of Star Wars. I'm going to have to go for a triple. And after the West End Games Star Wars D6, I would have to say, and this, is, this one's really kind of coming out of nowhere, because it's not one that you would think of as a D6, but the No Thank You Evil. It's a game that I've played with my kids. It's from Monty Cook Games, and it's based off of his Cypher system, but it uses a giant D6 because, well, let's face it, if you're going to teach kids games, the D6 is probably the easiest one to use. I recommend it 
you know, there's so many other kids games out there. Uh, Hero Kids uses a D6. Uh, Tiny D6 is a great game as well. Frank T there, legendary Frank Turfler from Frank T's Liner Notes. Wonderful Patreon that I'm backing as well. Um, so, yeah, D6 games. You're right, there are a ton of them. And there are a ton of them that I haven't played as well. You know, I know Shadowrun, for example, is a D6 game, and I've never gotten to play that, although I'm thinking of buying in on the new 6th edition um, starter set on that. And, Getting to know that system a little bit. You know, um, Frank had originally tried to leave this message a few days prior, and it, it, I could see the topic name, but the message didn't come through. So I was already starting to think about it, and I was thinking about Tunnels and Trolls and how Ken St. Andre, uh, you know, wanted to use the dice that everybody had, and that was really smart. And then Frank mentioned it on his, uh, his call-in, so that was a little anecdote I, I thought of as well. So great minds think alike, Frank. Tunnels and Trolls is one of those games where I really expected it to be more D and D like when I, you know, before I'd read it, and then when I, when I read it and looked at it, it's really uh, original. It's kind of it's completely its own thing. It plays nothing like D and D. So, interesting game. You know, uh, another game I thought you know I considered maybe putting in my top three that I've never even played. It was GURPS, just based on the strength of the source books. In fact. There are a couple of books, suppressed transmission collections from the um, the GURPS pyramid kind of online zine written by Kenneth Height. And those books are maybe aside from the DMG from Gary Gygax are probably the best role-playing uh, related writings that I've ever read. And really I only give Gygax the top spot just because it's, you know, probably, you know, nostalgia and all that kind of thing probably plays a, a huge role in that. So it may ar arguably be the best writing I've ever read. If you're into, you know, weird history and UFOs and cryptozoology and all kinds of weird stuff, those suppressed transmission books, you can buy them on Amazon and they're, they're not heavy on mechanics. They're just, uh, unbelievable essays. Um, Really, I mean, fantastic. I mean, Kenneth Hyde's stuff is, uh, is he, he's a, um, a master, really. I don't know what to say. Make you will make you not want to write after it's kind of like listening to Phil Collins on the drums, might be a little bit discouraging. Uh, read some of Kenneth, Kenneth Hyde's writing, and you know, you may rethink being an old RPG designer. Nah, it's not that. You know, different people are different. <laughs> I mean, my point is, it's unbelievably good. But I couldn't put something I never played in. Um, as much as I love some of that GURPS um, source book stuff and the suppressed transmission stuff, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, maybe also think about this game I picked up recently, Baker Street. It's a Sherlock Holmes game. It's it's D6 based, and um, it, it's pretty cool. And it's kind of interesting how they they do it's really hard to do mystery games you know it's really hard to kind of do these games where you're relying on clues because so much of what like home to, to get that homes like feeling you'd have to have a gm that can really give you unbelievable descriptive qualities of situations and people and and then you'd have to you know kind of be as perceptive as homes to maybe notice it and then you know that's that's just really a, a, a literary thing rather than a real life thing in most cases so 
it's got these kind of weird kind of gamist mechanics that um, are kind of metagamey and everything, but they actually kind of work for for what it is. So that that was just an interesting, more recent game that kind of popped in my mind thinking about this. Um, but like you said, there are tons of D6 games, many of which I've heard of and just have never played. But uh, what what when I put in for number three, I had to go with Traveler. You know, it's been around forever, and for and you know, and still gets played it still has new additions still has a lot of enthusiasts doing things for it it's got great clones a cepheus engine clone there's even the cepheus light which is really stripped down so you kind of get a good you know osr traveler feel to it um you know traveler is a really really interesting game um it's got some futuristic feel to it but then at the same time it's kind of dated like even like I guess Mark Miller's imagination um, wasn't, you know, didn't go far enough for what we have now. So there are some things with the ships, like, you know, programs or like these big things or whatever, you know, like I'm picturing people sticking like laser discs and stuff into the, <laughs> into the ship or whatever. Um, but uh, there's a lot of just concepts that I like about it. I got to play in uh, James Malashevsky's traveler game for a little while from grognardia and uh james was really knowledgeable about the game and uh ran a really fun game uh, unfortunately i didn't i couldn't stay in just because of um works wife's work schedule and stuff like that but uh it, it's a fun game to read it's a fun game to track down pieces for it's uh, i really um i enjoy the cepheus light that's something I picked up on Lulu and I think it was only like five bucks and it's just like a little booklet and you can play, kind of play a stripped down traveler. So any traveler fan, actually, if you're a traveler fan, I'm sure you've already heard of it, but just with everything, the, uh, the subsystem maps, the way they annotate, um, uh, planets, the way they do the care, you know, the whole character creation thing, dying during character creation and all that. Um, there's just a lot to like about Traveler, and you can see why it's a classic and it's been around for so long. So I'm putting that at number three. Number two, I'm going with the gumshoe system. And uh, this is for games like uh, Trail of Cthulhu or um, Knight's Black Agents. So Kenneth Hyatt comes up again. Also Robin Laws, they, they kind of are partners in crime uh, doing the Ken and Robin talk about stuff. And Robin Laws is another one of these really kind of genius level um, intellectual sort of writers, at least in my opinion, working in RPGs. And what's interesting about the gumshoe system, um, the first way I, I came by it was through uh, Trail of Cthulhu. And um, at first, I really hated the idea because the whole selling point was like, oh, well, you know, the, the thing that's bad about Call of Cthulhu is, you know, you, you get a, if you miss a, a roll to notice a clue, it, you know, the game gets thrown, is thrown off, you know. So we're just going to give you the clues up front. And, you know, when I heard that, I was like, ah, I don't know if I really like that. But really, I mean, I can see that as kind of a sensationalist way to sell the game to somebody as, a, as an idea. But really, in Call of Cthulhu, what you usually end up having is a lot of clues so it's not so much that everything depends on one clue it's that um you know the more you find the, the better off you are and uh great examples like the beginning of mass of nyarlathotep there's like you know eight or nine possible clues um 
uh, right at, at the beginning of the campaign, but it even suggests not to give them all to the party. And you can even, um, uh, you can even kind of dictate where you want the players to end up going by which ones you choose. Like, okay, let's, we'll leave, uh, you know, if, like for example, I, I've, I've ran it a few times, but haven't completed it. So rather than go through, um, New York to England again. I can say, oh, I'm definitely going to put the Shanghai matchbox as be one of the um, you know, matchbook is one of the things they find and kind of steer them towards Shanghai or whatever. But a lot of the Call of Cthulhu adventures, you know, there are multiple clues, and you can really, if they find everything, they can even have kind of clue overload. Um, so it's not always important. I guess what I'm saying is it's not always you know, there's, it doesn't always come down to one clue in those games, and in a sort of a similar way with Trail of Cthulhu, and what it really is doing is giving is making your skills but be kind of really strong and like really matter. So you know, if you think in D and D terms, you're not starting off as a super low level thief. If you have like a thief skill, like you are a badass thief right from the get go, and so these kind of investigative skills that they have, you can automatically get some skill, um, some inf- a clue, but you might be able to spend points to get even more information. And then you might not have a certain investigative skill in your party to where maybe you do miss out on some clues. You know, it's still a possibility. But anyway, I, I, in play, and then in, in the more I, I, I read about it and looked at it, it really is just a creative system. And there's been lots of games now that have come out with a gumshoe system. One that I'm really looking forward to, I backed on a Kickstarter. It's another Robin Laws game uh, for the Yellow King. And... Uh, I've had the PDFs for a while, but haven't even bothered with them. I want uh, I want the print in my hands, and there was some problem with the printers, but they're finally coming out. I, I got the backer kit thing about shipping a while back, so I'm anticipating those coming at, at some point. And so it's kind of like the Yellow King, you know, the Robert Chambers. I think I remember the name right. Weird book. Uh, it has a couple of really great stories in that book, and um, it's kind of the influence of the yellow king and weird carcosa stuff um, over t- uh, spread out through time so there's like one book that it's like set in paris and there's another that's more modern time and another of the books will be in the future and so um, it's definitely going to be a weird game that i'm looking forward to and that's going to be using the gumshoe system as well so um, and that's just a simple you know d6 game um, but um, the companies that do most of the stuff for i guess pelgrim press is the the main company that does the a lot of the gumshoe related stuff they have really high production quality and always have really talented writers like robin lawson and kenneth height so i'm going to put gumshoe at number two a game that i didn't you know i initially didn't think i would like and then of course you mentioned it number one gotta go with star wars d6 just gotta go with it now, it's not perfect. I'm still searching for my perfect house rule and how to do the uh, kind of death spiral deal that it's got. That's the one thing I don't like about it. Um, it just, if anyone's ever played it, the problems I was having with it, if you're knocked out of combat, you know, that should, it shouldn't be a step to say you're knocked out and then the next step to be dead because maybe for player characters that's helpful, but... You know, if you're knocked out, you might as well be dead if you're an enemy or whatever. And um, so I'm trying to almost think, I know Frank knows a lot about, uh, you know, is really familiar with Savage Worlds. I'm also, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about a, maybe a wild card sort of system with it where 
I can have some, you know, kind of lower level types, you know, like the average stormtrooper, maybe use it as written um, for them, uh, you know, the damage kind of um, death spiral uh, as written for them. And then maybe for player characters and, uh, you know, more powerful villains, just doing something where you lose a die, you know, each time you're hit, you lose a die from each roll until you're out of rolls and then you're out or something like that. I'm still, still thinking about that. But obviously, West End Games was thinking about it too because every edition that they did, uh, they they adjusted the the, the damage and, and the way that worked um, as well. So, but anyway, the good things about it, I mean, the character creation, how great is that? So intuitive and simple and easy. Um, love the templates. I love everything, you know, the great source books and everything that they did for that. Cool adventures. Um, uh, you can, you know, have the individual starships so you don't run into to the, the whole uh, everybody trying to have a, a role on a big ship and, unless you want that, you know. But, there, you know, Star, Star Wars comes, you know, complete with, uh, with um, single fighters and, or, you know, f- you know, you and a droid or something like that. So you've got some variety there where it's not all just one uh, mammoth ship and... Really easy to house rule, um, and then just kind of just really simple rules to, to remember. You know, like I said, the, the only thing I don't like about it is the way that some, um, some of the different editions handle the the death spiral, and that's something that I know that there's a perfect house rule out there for me somewhere. I just haven't ran it in a while, so I haven't had to work too hard on that. But I, I don't know. When I think D6 game, I think Star Wars. So anyway, I think I'm ram. Wow, I think I'm raving at this at this point um but hey that's the that's the froth show right <laughs> anyway frank thank you so much for uh, for the topic i really appreciated it uh appreciated hearing from you so thanks again all right so i feel like i was even more rambly than than usual today but uh hey it is what it is um you know, I'm going to be gone next week, so the, the next couple things you'll hear from me will be Hump Day, uh, you know, the Hump Day Bloggerama show, and then I'll try to do a five-minute Friday, and then uh, probably radio science, silence for a while. Thinking about maybe doing some, maybe one podcast while I'm down there. I, um, um, we're, we're thinking about bringing, uh, bringing some D&D down there, so maybe a couple nights we might run something. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll do a, a beach edition of a session recap or something with the family or something like that. But at any rate, I really appreciate people checking out the shows. I want to thank everybody that called in with topics and just talking about James Bond or whatever else. So, you know, feel free to call in on the Anchor app or email me, frothsoftfrothsof at gmail.com. Uh, you can always swing by the blog at frothsoftdnd.blogspot.com. Appreciate uh, new backers on my Patreon. Y'all know who you are. I appreciate the longtime supporters, new supporters, anybody pledging on there, patreon.com forward slash thought eater. It's a dollar a month if you want to support the show. And um, yeah, I think that's it. Anywho, I hope y'all have a great rest of the week. Thanks again for listening. Logan, let's go. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. 
Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater gonna blow your mind. Boom, 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 boom